0: Whatever it is you want to do in life, you'll be able to do. It's always you versus you.
1: That it doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, you can achieve anything that you set your mind to. Spend the rest of your natural life waking up and going after it. This is my purpose and you will not stop me. You are listening to Mojo Sports. Our guest tonight has had more than 50 years involvement with the NRL at the top level and is still going. His incredible contribution to our great game continues. He started his illustrious career playing first grade for the Balmain Tigers in 1971. As a PE teacher and rugby league coach at Holy Cross Ride, he was instrumental in developing future stars of the game. The likes of Benny Elias, Paulie Bevan, Paul Syrenin, and two other first grade players very close to my heart, in Brett and Scott Gale. As a strength and conditioning coach, he has contributed to the success of the Australian Kangaroos, numerous New South Wales State of Origin series, and five different first grade clubs. He has worked alongside no less than 27 first grade NRL coaches. I could continue to list all of his amazing contributions and achievements, but this podcast is only 30 minutes long. So let's get started. Ronnie Palmer, you absolute legend. Firstly, thank you so much for agreeing to come out, come on this show for my first one-on-one podcast.
0: Oh, Tass, nice. top of the evening to you, and uh, thank you so much, I feel Really privileged and quite chuffed that you would ask me to be your first one-on-one. So thank you very much. And as I say, really pleased to be here.
1: Got to start with the best, right, Ronnie?
0: Well, let's try. (laughs) Let's assume that.
1: (laughs) We'll see how we go then.
0: All right.
1: All right, Ronnie, in amongst all that stuff, you have managed to also raise four fine young adults and you are now the proud grandfather to no less than 11 grandchildren. Tell us, Ronnie, did any of your four children follow in your footsteps into rugby league?
0: Uh, Yes, only one of them, uh, and that was Jess, uh, the middle daughter. Um, The funny part about the rest of the kids all played the round ball game, but a little bit of trivia along the way um, about Jess and about the rest of them, but Jess in particular, whilst playing soccer, she became an elite soccer player as well. She made it to the final rounds of selections for the Australian team, the Matildas. I was out there watching her wow. um, at um, Sydney Football Stadium. So that was her little uh, part of the, the Palmer family with the soccer. But her forte turned out to be rugby league. Um, she was uh, working for the NRL. And while she was working for the NRL, they asked her if she'd come and have a quick game with the Forestville Ferrets, played with the Forestville Ferrets. And I swear – like it seemed like the blink of an eye, she was all of a sudden in the Origin team, then all of a sudden she made the Australian team and then all of a sudden she was playing Australian sevens. So I'm extremely proud of young Jessie Palmer, but, yeah, she's the only one that followed in uh, that line of uh, of my sport anyway, rugby league.
1: And what a fit and outstanding athlete that Jess is. I actually – had the great privilege of presenting Jess with her first New South Wales jersey, and it, it was a memorable moment for me, Ronnie, just knowing that she hailed from your great genes.
0: Tash, can, okay, I just throw, get- can I jump in there? She still talks about the day that Tasha Gale gave her her state of origin jersey, so she was really, really so so, so happy about that. Thank you, Tash.
1: Thanks, Ronnie. <laughs> Right, back to you, huh? Okay, over the past 50 years, half a century, Ronnie, what do you consider to be your most memorable season or decade or experiences?
0: Well, Tasha, I was lucky enough to be um, at a really strong club and that was the Roosters. We had a, a decade from about 1995 to 2005. Where we almost, uh, I guess, we'd, we formed a dynasty there. For 10 years, we were always in the top four. Uh, We played four uh, out of five years in the grand final from 2000 to 2004. Um, So that was a a remarkable period of time, that decade where we reigned supreme. And I guess there's two individual, obviously, during that time. Uh, The 2002 Roosters team, we won the grand final. That was unbelievable as well. Uh, And the other one which I think is worthy of note is um, the 1996 Origin team. Uh, We won the series, uh, won all three games, but we played all three games with the same 17 players. That's never been done before. I don't think it'll ever be done again because of suspensions and injuries and blah, blah, blah. So they were probably the two key um, years uh, that made a lot of – Uh, Memories for me, but that decade of uh, the Roosters from 95 to 2005
1: was outstanding. Wow, Ronnie, you've certainly got some stories there, I bet. Now, I've known you for quite some time, and you have been talking about the importance of club and team culture for decades now, long before it became recognised and talked about the way it is now. Could you tell us what culture is to Ronnie Palmer?
0: I think culture means that what you're trying to do to have a shared ambition with a whole group of people within a unit, doesn't matter if it's a business unit or a rugby league team, I think everyone's got a common shared ambition where there's a common goal to achieve, but they've got to have belief in that common goal. I think that um, in the rugby league sense, I think you become, and we try and encourage each of the players to be the player that everyone else wants to play with if everybody wants to play with that player, then the culture of the team is strong. The belief is strong. And I think probably the, the number one thing that I've always said about uh, how you develop and and, and instill culture is to find people who genuinely care about the place. There's a real care about the, the team, a real care about the club, a real care about their performance. So I guess that would probably sum up my idea of culture.
1: Wow. Thanks, Ronnie. Um, Where does energy dust come into that whole scenario?
0: (laughs) Well, what you're trying to do, Tash, and you played the game (laughs) at the highest level, sometimes you fall on hard times. And um, with the Tigers, we were doing it a bit tough and uh, we we weren't winning too many games. And uh, we were playing a game down at Brookvale and we we really need to get ourselves out of the mire. And uh, so we decided that, you know, we hadn't won a game down there for about 10 years or something, and we just needed to win this game desperately. So I thought, what am I going to do? So I thought I'd come up with a bit, a bit of a novel idea, and that was to say, look, the way we can do this is to have more energy, hit the ground running, have energy, play energetic, and you never know where it's going to get you. So as they're all about to go out, i have called them in say, so boys, that ends yours, talking about. I've found some, and here it is. I threw this all this confetti-type stuff and I <laughs> pretended it was energy. They've all had a bit of a chuckle, but we went out and won the game. Good on us.
1: Hey, it works. It, it works, Ronnie. Well done. <laughs> like It's a famous story, that one, and thanks for sharing it with us. Ronnie, the game of rugby league has changed so much over the past 50 years. They've recent. we've recently brought in, you know, new rules, so many new rules. So, Ronnie Palmer, I'm going to give you the power.
0: So oh. if you
1: have this power, yeah?
0: Yeah, I love that. Which, <laughs> yeah, <okay. laughs> which
1: rule would you keep? Which rule would you keep? Which rule would you ditch? And, Ronnie, give me a rule that you would implement to our rule. great game.
0: Okay, Tash, there's a couple of th- couple of things. you mind if I talk about a couple? I think that the oh, please. Um, I think the, 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 the uh, two points for a field goal outside the 40 is innovative and, and, it, and it can sometimes end that deadlock where you've got you know, golden points. I just think, I, I know golden points a great concept, but I honestly think that everybody who plays game likes to end up with a result at the end of the game. Um, I know that's why the golden point come into play. But uh, I think, you know, with that added addition, I think of the, that uh, field goal outside the 42 points, I think that's a great innovation. I like um, the captain's call because we've had all, for over these years, we've had all this contra- controversy about stripping, the he strip the ball, the de- he lose it, blah, 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 blah. And I think the captain's challenge has given us a little more insight. We can have a little bit more of a look at that. So I think there are two really good things that, I, that have come in. I think I'm not anti the bunker, but I think the bunker has sometimes been uh, to the det- detriment of the game. It, it, it enhances it, but I think it is also detrimental. I think the six again is again too loose. I think that, you know, um, it, it, you know I, I think players get frustrated. The the, the spectators get frustrated because six again often happens when you don't really think it should happen and and it it can be disadvantageous to uh, the running of the game. I think the only thing that I would, if I could wave a magic wand and it becomes because of my role as a trainer, they've really cut down on what the trainer can do on the field now. The blue shirt, for example, not that I'll bore people here for a moment, but the blue shirt can only go on three times per half. And he's to deliver messages. The yellow shirt can't go on at all. There's times in the game uh, that trainers are really needed out there. The trainers should be out there. Contrary to what everybody believes, I've been, as I said, I've been doing the game for a long time and been a trainer for a long time. Trainers, contrary to what everybody believes, don't influence a game. They don't spoil the game. Uh, and I think they should be allowed more access to the field. That's about it. Well, I, I do
1: remember. I, I I love that. Thanks. Uh, Ronnie, so the rule you'd implement would be trainers allowed more time on the field?
0: I think so, yeah, yeah. Not, not, you know, I mean, it got a bit ridiculous at times, but, you know, I I think just a little more time on the field.
1: Ronnie, there was a rumour going around, I think, back in the 90s (laughs) that you were spending more time on the field than the actual players. So I can understand why you want to implement that rule because uh, you're barking orders at them and uh, probably keeping the, the structure really fine. So I'm sorry they've limited that, and if you had the power, honestly, bring it back in. (laughs) Exactly. Ronnie, I'm going to take you on a little bit of a travel here. Oh, okay. okay. Let's go back to 1971, and there is a nervous young 20-year-old Ronnie Palmer about to make his first grade debut for the Tigers. What advice would you give him? What would you like to tell him or say to him?
0: Um, I I suppose I'd like to say to him, like I um, try and give advice to the the followers of today, the young followers of today, is to number one, go out there and enjoy yourself, back yourself, know full well that you've done the work and you deserve to be there or you wouldn't be there if you didn't deserve to be there. Um, Don't second guess yourself feel very privileged that um, only a handful of people really play first grade. Of all the years from 1908 until now, the present time, so many people have played rugby league, but really over the, those, all, all those years, very few actually play first grade. So you're in a, an elite um, class of people. And I think the last thing I, I think they should do is just be mindful and, and, and be grateful for all those people who have helped them to get there. So, in essence, your mum and your dad who got up and drove you everywhere to training and all your friends who supported you and your junior coaches who got you on the way and spent a lot of time with you. So, I think all those things have got to be instilled in you to, to realise that be grateful, um, back yourself, enjoy yourself and get out and do it. And I think I'd like to share a quick one with you, Tash. My, um, my debut game, for want of a better word, was uh, – in the second minute of a game, I was down at Brookville Oval um, playing for the Tigers, uh, a fellow called George Rubinus put his eye open in the second minute. And in those days, yeah, there was no coming back. You went off and that was it. So he went off in the second minute. I had 78 minutes to go and I went onto the field in the centres and I was marking no, none other than Bob Fulton for 78 minutes, having just played a 4 reserve grade game. So um, yeah, my introduction uh, or my debut was slightly different to what um, others might may have had.
1: What a baptism of fire! Playing a full <laughs> game and then just two minutes short of another full game straight afterwards, and uh, Bobby Fulton, Fulton to uh, line up against, mate. Good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's what I said,
1: <laughs> Ronnie. That brings me to um, Tiger Town.
0: Oh, You're yes. obviously
1: a strength and conditioning trainer with um, the West Tigers I- this year. Tiger is something different. You obviously feature a lot in this series. Can you elaborate on your thoughts about this insightful documentary?
0: Yeah, I think it was an opportunity um, for, for the club to, to showcase um, exactly what the club's all about. I think it was quite unique. I mean, there's been a lot of these things uh, being played of late in different sports. Michael Jordan and, and other different types of sports. There was uh, Tiger Woods, all these sorts of areas. They've, uh, they've done this sort of documentary. Ours was to give everybody more of an insight to the inner sanctum of, uh, of rugby league, to let you know what it's like in the shed, to let you know what it's like on the field. And I think that was uh, an opportunity again, not just to showcase the Tigers, but to showcase what the rugby league, what game's all about. I think that one of the most important things that, and parts of the documentary really honed in on spectators and just how valuable they are to the game, not just to our club, but to the game itself. And you see them turn out, you know, rain, hail or shine, windows or draw, they turn up, put their tiger gear on, they go and wear their stripes, as we call it, to the game. And I think that was... Um, Really good that we highlighted highlighted that in, in the documentary, just the importance of spectators uh, and how much they love their team and, you know, whether or not you're just a first-time supporter or you've supported them all your life. Um, I think that was a really fabulous way of, um, of showcasing that whole thing.
1: Yeah, I think it was, and, and I know it. um I certainly enjoyed watching it, and and just to see the, the behind the scenes. But yeah, I, I agree the importance of this of the spectators. It really to get behind the team. So well done to the West Tigers for doing that. Yeah, year, I think they, they
0: should be. Yeah, they should be commended for that.
1: Okay, now Ronnie, I'm going to put you on the spot here.
0: Oh, I love it.
1: We mentioned in the intro that you've worked alongside no less than twenty seven first-grade NRL coaches. Now, if I need to remind you quickly, some of them, Arthur Beetson, Graham Murray, Phil Gould, Tommy Radonikus, Ricky Stewart, Laurie Daly, John Cartwright, Ivan Cleary, Chris Anderson, Michael Maguire, Brad Fittler, Laurie Fryer, Wayne Pearce, Malmen, Brad Arthur, just to name a few. Mate, amazing you are. Now, with those great men in mind, I'm just going to throw – A word or a phrase, and I want you to quickly tell me who it best describes and why.
0: Oh, okay. I'll do my best. Okay, there's no thinking time. Music. No thinking time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) How did I know you were going to do that? (laughs) Okay, here we go. You ready? Yeah, gotcha. Coolest.
0: Um, I think my father, coolest would be Ivan Cleary. Um, always relaxed, always calm. And I think you, you, you see that uh, manifest itself in his <laughs> he, young fella, Nathan. Very, very calm, very controlled. Yep, they're the coolest, those two.
1: Nice. Funniest?
0: Mm, okay, the funniest I reckon would probably have been Tommy Radonikus. Uh Tommy was a classic. I had him um, for a couple of years at Origin. Uh, always, um, always up for laugh, always up for joke, always. Uh, I'm going to tell you a quick story. We went to John Singleton's house. He invited all the origin squad there and it was at Bellevue Hill and beautiful old sort of Tahitian style home. And we walked across this bridge and all these really expensive fish were swimming through and we went out and had a barbecue and everyone you know, had a really good time. On the way back, as we were going out of the house, of course, Tommy being Tommy, out he jumps straight into the, the river that's going around, he grabs one of these expensive fish <laughs> that's worth probably a thousand dollars and starts chewing on it. So that was that was to oh, always the joke. Of course he does. That was always his go. Nice
1: one. Okay, now I'm gonna throw this one out there.
0: Oh okay. um, yeah, I got the too easy. The most out there bloke, and he's still out there, is uh, Freddie Fitler. I remember he and I had a stint together. I've actually had him as a player, and then he came back and coached at the Roosters. Um, you would go into his room, and all the lights would be off, and the Venetian blinds would be drawn. You could, you had to wear a miners' hat in there to see him, because he was being a greenie and didn't want to waste power. and He wouldn't use deodorant, cold showers. So, old Freddie, listen to him any time you like, and you'll know what I mean by that. He's out there.
1: Wow, the stories about him are true. Thanks, Ronnie. What about um, complete package?
0: Oh, that's um, that's probably, yeah, he, he's probably the, the most unique coach in the game and, and has got uh, a record to support it, and that's Gus Gould. He was the supreme um, motivator. His knowledge of the game was um, first class and Gas was also a whole lot of fun. If you went on any, um, we I had him for Origin for a lot of time. During the Origin times, uh, he could get a group together and he could instill camaraderie. So not only was he a good hands-on coach, but he was great with players. So that's why I call him the complete package.
1: All right. Well, let's go. How about crankiest?
0: Oh, uh, there's a couple in that. Category, but I reckon um, Shane Flanagan would probably be up there. <laughs> uh, I went again when I was working at the Roosters. Uh, yeah, fun, I was a, an angry an ant. Angry so, yeah, I'd have to put him down as a credit. Yes.
1: All right. Well, which coach that you've worked with is the most approachable?
0: Ah, uh, look, they've, can I tell you, they've all been pretty much approachable, but one of the, the nicest, gentle, giant, really approachable fellow was John Cartwright. I worked with him uh, both at the Roosters and also at the Titans. Um, lovely fellow. Uh, always had an ear for you, always had time. So I'll put him in the approachable class. All
1: right. How about inspirational?
0: Ah, uh, gee. You know what? I reckon... Uh, I reckon the most inspirational, because of his aura and all that about him, was Arthur Beetson. And I just started out in, in the Roosters, at the Roosters in 1987, and Arthur was the coach. But Arthur had um, an aura about him that it didn't matter where he was, who he spoke with, whether it would be in a country town or whether it be in the slickest joint in the city. Uh, everybody loved Arthur, so yeah, I think he was just a, an, an inspirational character
1: you know what, Ronnie, I was going to keep going with words or phrases until you came up with Arthur Beetson because I love that man and I just wanted him to be uh, mentioned as one of these things and you picked the best one. Okay, so just to finish up with, and it might be a bit of a giggle because we were talking earlier about something, but if I said swear bear,
0: uh yeah, well you know who that is. Anyone who watched <laughs> yeah, Tiger <I> Town, <laughs> Madge. What they really did he more? He did more than that. What's that t- park? What's that? What's South that? South Park. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he, <laughs> he, 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 he he's taken the the title from South Park. Yep.
1: He has for more f bombs per minute than. Yep. Than South Park, and they can I, the title, you, so. can I
0: tell you? Can I tell you, Ain't Robinson Crusoe. If you listen to a lot of the other coaches, and you were privy to <laughs> their halftime talks, they'd be very very comparable.
1: Ronnie, that leads me into you've got to tell us about the best blow up that you've witnessed, player or coach. Best blow up.
0: Mm, yeah. Okay. I got it. The best blow up. Was um, Gascoigne and we were playing. We were, uh, we were yeah, we were going to play Brookvale Oval against Manly. Uh, Manly hadn't been beaten all year, and it was about round fourteen or fifteen. We really needed to win the Tiger. Uh, sorry, the Roosters. <clears throat> so we went into camp uh, down at the Manly Pacific, all prepared, ready to go. We've lobbed the football oval on the Sunday, we jump out there and after the first 30 or so minutes, we're just getting toweled up by the referee with the penalty count and we're not doing real flash. And Gus is sitting next to um, Jamie Pack, James Packer. He was uh, on the board at the time. And Gus had the radio and he just yelled down the, the, the radio to me. He said, Ron, tall Sean Garlick, who was the, co- who was the captain at the time, tall Sean Garlick to take the team off now. I've had this referee, he's a cheat. And as he said it, he's thrown the walkie-talkie down and smashed it everywhere. So I'd lost contact with Gus. So I've gone, but, 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 what am I doing? <laughs> so anyway, I've, uh, I've run out to Shawnee Garlic, and the re- I made sure the referee was in earshot. I said, Shawnee, Gus has said, get the team off now. He said, what, 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 what I can't. What, what, what? I said, Gus said, get him off now. He's like, I can't take him off. I can't take him off, Ron. So, anyway, I went off and um, as fate would have it, um, the referee's penalty count changed significantly, so it went our way and we ended up winning the game. We ended up winning the game.
1: The power of the Gus.
0: The power Maybe the <laughs>
1: referee was well in earshot. Well in I don't think Gus's he, don't he
0: refereed a first grade game after that task, but anyway.
1: All <laughs> oh, righty. Over the course of your career, you've spent a lot of time on the field, running messages, barking instructions, dealing with player injuries. Are there any moments that particularly stand out for you?
0: Yeah, look, there's been, um, there's, Tash, there's been so many so many instances, but I think that if I try and <clears throat> make it a bit current and the, the, the current coach of the Panthers now, Ivan Cleary. He was playing at the Roosters when I was training him. And um, he had a horrific incident on the field where he went to take a step, another player jumped on his back, his knee dug into the ground, and it forced his hip backwards and dislocated his hip. And to dislocate a hip, I think I've only seen about three or four in my whole career, and it is a significant injury. He was laying on the ground in pain. You know, we, we knew you know, what he had done. and We had a funny doc at the time who he's come running out, running out, he's a big skinny bloke, running out, running out, and I've tried to grab him and I've said, doc, doc, his hip, he's done his hip, relax, easy, you know. So as he come up, he kneeled down, held three fingers up and said, Ivan, how many fingers do I have up? And I said, no, mate, it's his hip, not, not his, he hasn't got concussion. <laughs> So the poor old Doc, he just, uh, that was a funny one. But there was a million of those, tush.
1: And you're quite right, Ronnie. You do have a million of them. So tell me, Ronnie, you do have a million stories. I think we should make a series of these podcasts, not just one. But <laughs> when is the tell-all book coming out? Or maybe a better question is who has to die before you'd feel comfortable letting out all those skeletons?
0: Well, it's pretty simple, Tash. I think I'd have to die. I mean, it's uh, it's pretty pretty hard giving a tell-all book because to make it a bestseller, you've got to make it nice and uh, ribald, if you want want to use that word. But you can't, you know, these days you've got to be very careful of what you're saying and who who you're going to talk about. So, yeah, I I think I'd have to die first, Tash. All right.
1: You've heard it here first. There's going to be a tell-all book written, but it's not coming out until... uh, Ronnie Palmer leaves this mortal coil that we have. Now, Ronnie, mm-hmm. I think the uh, people listening know, but <laughs> lastly, you yourself are a bit of a joker. To finish the show, tell us one of your finest.
0: Oh, Tashi. I mean, it's like yeah. when you, yeah, yeah you've got a million jokes and someone says, tell me a joke. Um, <clears throat> wow. Well. It's probably not my finest. I'll give you a quickie that, that uh, see how this roll. Um, and this probably won't be pertinent to some of the younger people because they won't know who I'm talking about. We'll see how we go. Anyway, this probably goes to the doctor. And he says to the doctor, he said, Doc, I've got a problem. Doc says, what is it? He said, I can't help singing The Green, Green Grass of Home. It's good to touch the green grass. The doctor says, that's easy, mate. You've got Tom Jones syndrome. And he said, the dogs are common. The dog said, it's not unusual to be So <laughs> <laughs> It's not unusual, get it Ronnie, done, 50 <laughs> years
1: in the game, mate,
0: <laughs> and <laughs> you still got it. Would you like another quickie, Tash? I just thought of another quickie.
1: Off you go.
0: Right. How do you kill a circus? I don't know, Ronnie.
1: How do you kill a circus?
0: You go for the juggler. <laughs>
1: Stop it. Stop it. And with right. that now, and with that. I've, I've got to say, Ronnie Palmer, you are a legend. You're an icon of the game. Your achievements I don't think will ever be bettered. You will... Always be fondly remembered. I'm very proud to have known you and call you my friend. And thank you so much for coming on to this podcast for my very first one-on-one show.
0: Again, Tasha, I thank you too. It was a pleasure. Thank you.